Good morning. Good to see you. I hope everybody's doing well. I want you to get your Bible turned to Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 39. Let's talk for a few minutes today about how do you think, how do you work, and how do you worship. Three key ingredients to the success that you're going to enjoy in this life with regards to fulfilling your purpose for being on the planet. I think there are other things that weigh into it, but I don't know of any, I don't know of anything other than these three that can contribute more to you fulfilling your purpose than those three things. So looking at Genesis 41, verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Because God has let you know all this, there is no one as wise and intelligent as you. Look at the person next to you and say, there is no one as wise and intelligent as you. Now, some of you are lying. You will be in charge of my palace and all my people will do what you say. I will be more important than you only because... I'm Pharaoh. Now, those of you who know the story of Joseph, you know that, that these verses here are, um, are the, the culmination of a lot of suffering. Uh, a promotion here is being talked about, but it comes as a result of a life that had been filled so far with stress and sorrow and anguish, because the story of Joseph is the story of, without being able to go too far into depth, just to kind of give you a foundational uh, bits and pieces, Joseph began to have dreams when he was small, started sharing those with his family. As a result, his brothers are jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. And they throw him in a pit rather than kill him, which was terrible to even consider, but some of them were considering, let's kill him. His older brother saves his life by saying, let's not kill him, let's sell him. And they sell him into slavery. He goes into a foreign nation where he's going to spend the rest of his life. When he gets there, he ends up in the house of a fellow named Potiphar, and a person who is of high influence and he's working hard and doing the best he can, acclimating. And as he becomes a young man, his boss's wife starts taking notice of him and, and when he will not do what she wants him to do, she claims that he has attempted to rape her. He's promptly thrown into prison where you can do all the research you want. I don't know how you're going to pin it down any more than this. It's just hard to find out. Somewhere probably between 8 and 12 years, he spends in prison for a crime he did not do. And I want you to think about the years that he's there. Because I think they really matter. They're formative years and they're, they're very productive years. 
If he goes into prison at the age of 18 and he's there for 12 to 13 years, which we know must be the case because he's 30 when he comes out, then he spends his years from 18 to 30 in prison for a crime he didn't commit. All of his, what we would know today as college years, all of those years where that he would have been dating and then meeting the right person and getting married and starting a family. Think about what all you did. Oh, those of you that are over 30, what did you accomplish or what did you see come to pass in your life between the ages of 18 and 30? Joseph missed all of that sitting in prison for being innocent. Toward the end of this, now not complete end, I'll show you why in a second, but, but toward the end of this time in prison, there's a couple of fellows in prison with him who have dreams, and they don't know how to interpret them, and they, they lay this out for Joseph. He interprets both of them correctly. One of them it didn't turn out so well for, but the other one, as a result of the dream and the interpretation of it, is released from prison. He's a cupbearer. And Joseph says, remember me when you get out. Remember, man, I'm in here. Remember me. Help me. Promptly, when this guy gets out, he forgets about Joseph. And the scripture says that Joseph spends two more years in prison because he's forgotten about. How discouraged would you be? How depressed would you be? Finally, at the end of that two years... Pharaoh has a dream, and he can't interpret it, and he brings in all of his wise men, and together they can't interpret it. And finally, at that point, the cupbearer, who is in the presence of the king, remembers and says, oh, yeah, I remember this guy in prison two years ago who interpreted a dream for me and this other guy, and he was exactly right. And the king's like, well, let's get him here. And Joseph has the opportunity then to hear the dream, and he interprets it correctly. And as a result of that, things begin to change. And the words of our text are at that point uttered to Joseph from Pharaoh, where he says, there's no one as wise as intelligent as you, and you're going to be second in charge. I'll be the only one over you. Now this is, I don't, I don't know if y'all are getting this or not, but this is a major promotion. Because most of the time, people that can get promoted in any case are the people who are second and third in charge. They're the ones that have been there as a part of the organization, have been being raised up, trained, and prepared for such a time as this, right? And so you would have thought that if somebody was going to become second in charge of the nation, it would have been somebody who was already connected, not somebody who was in prison yesterday and had been there for the last 12 years. So when they were looking into his background, they said, well, let's, let's find out if this guy's qualified. What qualifies him? Well, he's been in prison since he was 18. How many people do you know that at 30, if they'd been in prison since they were 18, are going to come out of prison and be, become the vice president or second in charge of a nation? It's not going to happen, is it? But what is happening in the story is truly and only the hand of God, the work of God, because God had never left him during this whole time but he'd been preparing him for this, for greatness. And so, it's a perfect illustration, I believe, of how God prepares us and then promotes us 
when we are open and willing to be his ambassadors. So listen, I want to try to answer a couple of questions for you this morning. What defines who you are and who determines that? What defines who you are, who determines that? I believe that you will, you will develop into your full potential based on how you pursue the following things we're about to talk about. How do you think? How do you work? How do you worship? I believe that God created every one of us for a specific purpose. You say, well, it's just me. You know, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet right now, and I'm just one of them. I'm not significant. I'm not important. I'm nobody. That's not true because God specifically picked you for this time, put you on this planet, and made you who you are. You were formed before even you were formed in the womb. The scripture says that God knew you and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you have a specific purpose and reason for being on the planet all the days you'll be here. Everybody that is true about. Some people stay the course and they see the results of obedience. Some people do not and their potential is squandered. But everybody came here for a reason. Everybody will give an account for how they breathed God's air. And you're going to be the one that decides how much that you accomplish for the Lord based on your pursuit of God and pursuit of your call. I'm not saying, when I use the word call, I'm not saying everybody's called to do what I'm doing right now. Uh, but all of us have a calling on our life. Whatever that calling is, is going to be determined by the way that you pursue, the way you think, work, and worship. So my question is, how are you doing? Get your pen, your paper, get ready to write these down. First of all, how do you think? How are you thinking? You say, man, pastor, today you're going to be sounding like one of those, uh, one of those, I just thought, I just lost the word, self-motivational speakers. Because it's going to kind of sound like that in a way. Because I'm about to tell you something you've heard a thousand times, but is so, so true, whether it comes from somebody writing a secular book or somebody speaking wisdom from the word of God, it's still true. You need to think positively. Dennis Waitley wrote, the winner glories in the good, the whiner majors in the mediocre. Process thinking of winners is different than other people's. A winner's normal moment-to-moment stream of consciousness, he is constantly thinking in terms of I can and I will, whereas losers concentrate on woulda, coulda, shoulda've. And what they can't do. He said when the mind's self-talk is positive, performance is more likely to be successful. How many of you have found that to be true in life? Are you thinking positively? And the way that you do that is, is in the way that you choose to develop your mind. How are you developing your mind? How do you develop your mind? You develop your mind by the things that you read, things that you watch, what you listen to, where you're learning. Who are you allowing to influence you? 
Who are your heroes? Are your heroes Christians? Because if your heroes are not Christians, then what you're doing is you may be receiving a lot of wisdom, but it's only earthly wisdom. If you want to receive godly wisdom, that only comes from people who walk with Christ. So who are you allowing to speak into your life? What kind of music are you listening to, even subconsciously? What things are you reading? What kind of movies do you allow your spirit to have to endure? Are you feeding your flesh or are you feeding your spirit? Your mind is going to think the way that you feed it. It's the same as with your body. Whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. How are you going to have the mind of Christ if you never think about godly things? How do you think? How are you thinking? Secondly, how do you work? I know most of you have never done this, but if you ever have had the opportunity to see a stone cutter, it's, it's really an amazing thing to see. You take a stone and he'll take a, a, a rock chisel and he'll start hammering on a rock and he may hit the same spot a hundred times. And he's not even making a dent. And on 101, the rock splits perfectly where he meant for it to. And if you're watching that, you realize it wasn't the 101st strike that did it. It was the culmination of all of the other ones plus that one together that finally produced the work of art. The way that you work is very important. I'm going to use a word, put two words together to define how I think we need to be working. And that would be with consistent persistence. Consistent persistence. Hammering away at the rock one strike at a time may not be seeing any kind of results, but you know in your heart because you've seen this, been here, done this before, that if you'll keep hammering at the same spot, eventually you're going to get what you were after. It is that type of work ethic that's going to put you in a position to be successful when your time comes. God has sent you here with a job to do and you need to be focused on that job and you need to be wholeheartedly committed to seeing that through. If you don't, then you may never become the person God sent you here to be. You gotta stay the course. God's the one that determines the final outcome. But you need to understand this for all of those of you that seem like you're in a rough place, that you're losing right now more than you're winning, I want you to hear the statement I'm about to make. It's both the wins and the losses in this life that produce the character of a winner. Both of those are going to come to you. You're going to experience them both. Nobody wins every time. Nor is it healthy for you to win every time because if there was never any adversity in your life, you wouldn't get stronger, nor would you know how to handle pressures that come that are going to happen to you. Number three, how do you worship? Now the answer to that question depends on who is your God. Did you hear that? How do you worship? That depends on who is your God. 
If you've chosen to worship the one true only God, then all of your worship will be fervent and passionate and wholehearted because how can you worship the creator of the universe any other way? So my question is, do you worship with passion? We want to think positively. We want to work persistently. We want to worship passionately. How do I worship passionately, pastor? You don't have to read too far, even in the Old Testament, to find out that the correct way to worship God with passion is to worship him with your entire heart, mind, body, soul, strength, everything that you are. I would add one to that, money. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about what you do in here, you know, like, like what we did a few minutes ago. A lot We refer to that as praise and worship. But praise and worship is a whole lot more than four or five songs on Sunday. Praise and worship, what I'm talking about is the way you live your life. The way you live your life is your worship to God. Are you a living sacrifice? Are you offering yourself as a living sacrifice every day to God and his purposes or are you living your own life and just hoping that when you get to heaven, your name's gonna be in the book? You worship passionately when you put God first in your decisions, in your actions, with your talents, with your finances. In fact, I'm not asking to do it, but all we need to do is look at your bank account and we can tell you who your God is. Where's your money go? Where does your time go? Where do you choose to use your talents? There's nothing wrong with being interested in things outside of the church world. Obviously, there's, you, we need to be doing outreach and evangelism, and we don't just do that with a Bible and a guitar, but we do that in living our lives and speaking to people over the fence. I get all that. I get all that. But if your life is all about self-absorption, how can I be entertained? How can I hang on to mine? How can I always get mine first? Then you're not living your life as a passionate worshiper of God. Wherever you spend your time and your money and your talent, that's what you worship. So, I know I've talked some about this and I, I, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but to illustrate this point, I'll tell you that when Deb and I came here to this church 24 years ago, I was 30 years old and she was 27. We had never been the pastors before. I'd grown up in church all my life. My dad was the pastor. And, uh, and, and by the time I got here, I'd been the youth pastor at three other churches and had been the associate pastor at another church. But I'd never been the senior pastor, and it sounded funny at 30 when people called me senior pastor. It's not as funny anymore. And I can remember every meeting I was in back then, deacon meetings, staff, you know, almost staff meetings, I was almost in every setting the youngest guy there. That's not the case anymore. 
But I remember in those early days, before the church was large enough, we didn't have any staff. Um, it, was, it was Deb and I, because I'd gone to the board, and they said, what, what do you need to be successful? I said, I need, I need Deb, because i got to have a secretary, and she's the best one I know, and she knows how to do all of it, bookkeeping and all. I said, i gotta have, I got to have, we got to run an office if we're going to get this thing going. And so she became the first person on staff, and she and I spent the first year and a half here every day, all day long, just the two of us, before we were able to hire our first full-time staff person. And I remember how much time I spent alone praying and thinking and reflecting and meditating and just I was just trying to hear from the Lord because I was very excited about this opportunity, but I was so inexperienced and I was unsure. I would do anything that the Lord told me to do. That wasn't a question. I'd do it. I didn't care. But I just wasn't going to do it till he spoke. And I wasn't sure what to do. And I remember praying those prayers. God, please, please give me the wisdom to know how to, how to lead these people. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Please show me how to love these folks and how to lead these folks Point them to you. Tell me what you want me to do. And I remember one day God spoke to me. I'll never forget it. And I have lived my life by what I would call this formula for success for the last 24 years. It's a very simple formula and it's going to sound strange to you. But one day God spoke to me and he said, pray more, read more, work out more. And you're like, why would a pastor need to, I can see praying more and read the Bible more, but that's not what he said. He said, pray more, read more, work out more. And I have diligently guarded that to the point that there have been people over the years have criticized that. They've gotten angry with me. Where's the pastor at? He's in the gym. Does he not think it's more important to be at work than to be at the gym? He says if he don't go to the gym, he won't be able to come to work. He won't live long. If he doesn't do something with stress, if he doesn't do something to keep his, you know. He thinks it's more important to go to the gym than he thinks it's important to go to one of our functions. He thinks so. And so I began this quest a long time ago to try to follow through with that for this reason. God knew I needed to read. When he said read more, he knew I needed to develop my mind. I needed to think positively. I needed to be reading the word. I needed to know the word. I'm going to tell you, how, how intimidating do you think it was at 30 to have to pastor a church that was, almost all of them were old enough to, to, to be my parents and had heard good preaching for years and years. I mean, Rick, I followed Rick Walls. That dude, that dude is a pastor. He's a preacher. He knows the word and he can preach it. I followed Rick Walls. I was like, oh my lands. This is intimidating. I got to get up on a Wednesday night and teach a Bible study full of uh, a room full of people that every one of them there know more than I do. God knew that I needed to be reading the word. I needed to be reading commentaries. I needed to be reading other books. I needed to be reading leadership. I needed to be reading all kinds of things because I needed to develop my mind in order to go where he was leading us. Secondly, he knew I needed to work out because I needed to develop my body, not so I could be some big uh, 
muscle man, but he knew that I needed to keep my body right because the stresses uh, of what it would entail, I wouldn't last long. And I would have been like so many other guys that they either burn out or they have a heart attack or they get discouraged and leave the ministry or whatever it is. Or they move every three years. There was no way I would have been able to bear the stress of the fire and buildings and debt and he knew I had to I had to be able to keep my body right it couldn't quit on me and so he told me to think he told me to work and he knew I needed to pray more worship I needed to develop my soul when he told me to pray more he didn't tell me to talk more he told me to spend time in his presence meditating and listening because he could tell me a whole lot more than I could tell him and I needed to hear him a whole lot worse than he needed to hear me and he heard me a lot because I was constantly talking He said, you need to pray more, learn to be patient. I think there's a patience that comes from that to be in his presence. Have you ever noticed how, not being uh, uh, unkind, but have you ever noticed how when the Spirit of God moves, a lot of people, they get real fidgety and they get uncomfortable because they're not accustomed to being in his presence. He was teaching me how how to stand up here on a day where the Spirit was moving when everybody's like, what are we going to do next? And I would just stand here for five minutes because the Holy Ghost saying, just stand there, I'm going to do something. It's hard to do that when you got hundreds of people looking at you and nothing's happening. You, got, you want to say something. Well, let's do this or let's do that. And the Holy Ghost would say, no, be quiet. Just stand there and be quiet. I'm about to do something. Okay. That ability to wait on the Lord comes from waiting on the Lord and meditating and spending time being comfortable in his presence in all three ways he knew I needed to be a lot stronger in order for my potential to be developed I'm telling you that for this reason I'm going to tie that back to where we started Joseph was 30 years old he's sitting in prison get this in your mind The day before his release, he does not know tomorrow opportunity is coming. Are you with me? He doesn't know tomorrow's opportunity is coming. And the day before he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, everybody around him, here's what they saw. They saw a prisoner with wasted potential. They're like, look at this dude. He's young, he's sharp. Wow, what a waste. Everybody saw a prisoner with wasted potential, but God saw a prince with unlimited power. And so on the next day, when the dream needed to be interpreted, Joseph was ready. Because somehow... For the last 12, 13 years in prison, as an innocent man, he had been keeping his mind right 
his soul right and his body right so that when it came time for God to move him from one place to the next, he was ready to go. How many others missed their opportunities because when they found themselves in a bad place, they chose to dwell on it instead of on keeping their mind right, their body right, and their worship right. I'm depressed, I'm upset, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm angry. Where is God? And God knew the promotion was coming, but Joseph was going to have to, he was going to have to be ready when the time came. He had to keep thinking positively. He had to keep working persistently. He had to keep worshiping passionately so that the pursuit of that would define and determine who he was later on. And when the time came for his place to change, he'd be ready. Some of you don't like the place you're in. For some of you, it's a job. I don't like this job that I'm in. I can't understand why I'm in. I keep asking God to get me out of it. God may be saying, I put you in it. I'm going to take you out. Now I'm going to take you out until you get your mind right. Because you being negative, you being upset, is not putting you on my radar for a promotion. Some of you don't like a relationship that you're having to deal with. Some of you don't like a health issue that you're having to deal with. A place can be a lot of things. A place is not just a location. A place can be a circumstance of your mind or your spirit or your body or your dwelling But I want you to understand something. The place is not important. Whatever place you're in right now is really not the issue. If you would keep thinking positively, working persistently, and worshiping passionately, God can change your place miraculously so that you go from prison to the palace in a day and a promotion that everybody thought was impossible there's no way she could have been so miraculously healed there's no way their marriage could have been so miraculously healed there's no way that job could have suddenly paid them ten thousand dollars a year more than they were the day before there's no way this could happen oh there's a way but it's all about God saying when it's time And you being ready to leave the place you are to go to the place you're going is key. How do you think? How do you work? How do you worship? It's real important. You need to think more, read more, work out more. So that you can keep your mind and your body and your spirit in a good place even when you're in a bad place so you can go to the next place Lord I thank you for your word today we need to hear this I need to hear it I need to be reminded 
Help us, I pray, God, because we're struggling. For some of us, these are the best days of our lives, perhaps, and everything is really well, but we also know that that could change because you take us from experience to experience. We may be in a really, really good place, but we may be headed to one that's not so good. It's not because you don't love us. You got better for us again, coming. And for another, they may be in a really, really bad place. Can't figure out how they got there. Didn't do anything wrong to get there. This is our word today. Help us to be broken by your word, contrite by your word, and repentant by your word. To pray prayers necessary prayers that will change the current way we are thinking, working and worshiping so that we won't be angry and negative and lazy lethargic and angry and without passion I want every one of us, Lord, to reach our full potential. I want every one of us to stand before you someday and give an account with a smile on our face. Confidence. God, I may not have been great, but I did my best. And him to say, yep, you did. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter on in. Come on in. Help us today, I pray, Lord, to stop dwelling on our place and start dwelling on these other three things I ask in Jesus' name. If this is your word today, you have an opportunity to act upon that. Whatever, whatever, uh, however much of that is for you, this is your opportunity. As Neil leads us in this final song, I want you to know these altars are open around the chairs. Stand, sit, kneel. However you need to get, however you want to do, I want you to to spend some time letting this word change you. Can we be honest in the presence of the Lord today so that we can get better? Don't be angered by confrontation. Be thankful for change that's coming that's going to better your place. Are you ready? As he leads us in the song, Find yourself a place and let's pray together. God bless you. I love you.